Hey everybody, welcome back to Flightcast. This is a show inspired by the mobile flight simulator Infinite Flight with a lot of real-world aviation mixed in there. Joining me in the Flightcast virtual recording booth, as always, is Mr. Skyhawk Heavy, Mark Denton. Hey, Mark. Hey, buddy. What's going on? Oh, well, I I just wanted to mention to Flightcast listeners who enjoy a Flightcast Cafe subscription that, um, as you know, I've been taking some pictures at my local... uh, Musical Airport of the T-28 Trojan, and I actually got to meet the pilot that was ferrying it back to from here uh, in Ontario over to Norway. And I mentioned this yeah. in the last episode, um, but I, I hadn't met the guy, so I got to go meet the pilot, and I did a little interview right there on the ramp with the airplane, uh, just to kind of spur the moment. I brought my gear, and I'm always sort of, you know, I'm audacious, so I I go ahead and just ask <laughs> anyway. And he was very comedy. Though you forgot the camera initially. Well, uh, yes. So I showed up at the airport <laughs> with all my gear minus my camera. Uh, the first time that I went, this was not when the pilot was there. This was when the current oh. owner was there, and uh, <laughs> yeah, drove the twenty minutes back home because he was asleep in the hangar. Uh, anyway. And then by the time I got there, he was up doing stuff, so I got to talk to him. But so yes, I got to talk to this Norwegian pilot. The Norwegian Flying Aces bought the airplane, and I'm assuming uh, have taken possession of it now. Although I haven't talked to the guy since he was here, but the but the journey, Mark, was from here, Perry Sound, Ontario, over to the east coast of uh, Newfoundland, I think. And then he was yeah. heading north up to a place called Iqaluit, Ontario, which is uh, it, they, they literally eat seals up there and whales. Uh, wow. And this is still in Canada. And then they had he had, he was heading over to um, Iceland, and then over to the uh, what are the islands in between Iceland and uh, the UK? Faroe I Islands. Have no idea. Yeah, Faroe cool Islands. Type, yeah. And then over uh, to the UK, and I think he had a few. He definitely had a few other stops. He was stopping twelve times for fuel and some rest. But, dude, he's doing this VFR mm-hmm. below below so 6, below six thousand the entire trip. He has to stay below six thousand and with one yeah. engine. And I was talking to a guy that actually flew uh, a bunch of circuits in this airplane. Who uh, I'll give a little shout out to uh, Turner at our, our local airport. Uh, does a lot of float flying and things like that. Uh, he's like 20 years old. Uh, maybe I'll have a chat with him someday on the podcast. Yeah. He uh, he got me access to, uh, well, it's a municipal airport. You pretty much have ramp and runway access anytime you want. But uh, they're they're about to, to take, um, to, to do some, to, he's about to check this guy out in the in the airplane. And he's like, you can go out, go out and take pictures right on the runway if you want. Uh, and I'm like, Aren't they going to get a little nervous if I'm sitting on the runway? He's like, no, we're we're far enough down. So there I am sitting in the middle of the runway while they're doing their takeoff roll <laughs> for the first time in this thing. I'm like, this is not a good idea. Uh, but anyway, I got some cool pictures. And <clears throat> so he's flying this trip below 6,000. And Turner's telling me, do you know how long this thing can stay gliding if he loses his engine below 6,000 feet? I said, oh, well, no. obviously, no, I don't know. 48 seconds. 
thing must it must be car just drops like that's a rock. Be, yeah, that's heavy. Yeah, very heavy. And it, he can't punch out of this thing. So you open the canopy. You hope for a, a a perfect water landing, and then you try and get your emergency gear out, including a raft. Well, I mean, he could jump out. I guess, but I mean, the guy that was selling the airplanes, like you know, these no, these guys are crazy. There's no way, no way you'd catch me doing that. No, he's going to take it all the way, and then they're going to try to salvage it if he had to make a water landing. Yeah, but this airplane's gorgeous, and uh, I got a, got a didn't gorgeous. get a chance to fly in it, but um, uh, yeah, it, it's it's going to be a, a cool little interview, and I've got some uh, real. I took some slow mo footage of it doing a low pass um, beside the uh, the. I was beside the runway, and what's cool is I didn't notice this when I filmed it, but then when I went back and looked, there's this really cool uh, vortices coming off the prop as it goes by. Yeah, and I still have yet to see those, so. Well, you're a cafe subscriber. You'll see it eventually. Well, I know that. <laughs> yeah, know. so very cool. Uh, Flightcast Cafe subscribers, look out for that. Um uh, but the so, T-28 is something that a lot of people don't know about. It, no, it's not a very common aircraft. No, and I didn't even know it existed in my town for several years until it's getting ready to leave. So that was kind of a shame. But uh, Yeah, it's such an amazing aircraft, a great warbird trainer, um, and a tricycle landing gear, not a tail dragger. So yes. you know I love it. Yeah, yeah, very cool. Okay, man. Well, uh, speaking of airplanes... We have an airplane pilot here with us today, so why don't we talk to him? Well, I mean, yeah, I guess we can call him a pilot. So, Mark, way back in Episode 7, we had you on as a guest, which was, yeah. of course, incredible. That was pretty much the pinnacle of Flightcast right there. <laughs> I mean, yeah, <laughs> that's, where... that's what put Flightcast on the map. Uh-huh. So, we... Uh, I went back and listened to some of that, and um, you know, as someone who it's it wasn't it's not it's not fun to go back and listen to the starting ones for me. The quality's not there. The quality of the guest obviously was there, uh, but my point yeah. is, you were a, a co yeah you were a co guest with uh, a guy named Dale McLaughlin, and he was, at the time, had just received his multi-engine rating going through flight mm -hmm. school and had a job offer from EasyJet. Dale is now back today. He's Dale, joining that's us. that's his name. <laughs> yeah. He's joining us from his home in Manchester, England, and uh, has been living in Paris just south of Charles de Gaulle Airport. Um, Dale, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me back, Jason. Mark, it's always a pleasure. Yes, it's always a pleasure, uh, remembering who you are each time Jason brings it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so Dale, congrats on the new job. Since we talked to you way back in episode seven, um, which was, it's creeping up on a year and a half ago, maybe. It's, yeah. It was October, I think. Yeah. God, has it been that long? October. Yeah. To, yeah 2015. It's a long it, time ago. And it's crazy how just in a year and a half, you've gone from flying, flying props. Cause I, I think you, I think you just got your ME at that point, didn't you? Yeah, just just got my ME CPL uh, yeah. on, the, on the Seminole. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, so just just twin engine prop back then, and a year and a half later. And now, um, uh, somehow, miraculously, they're letting you fly, like, hundreds of passengers. 
Yeah, I know. It must be crazy. It must be crazy. <laughs> so, um, Dale, welcome back, and thank you for making some time. I know your your schedule, uh, you were just telling Mark and I, is pretty bananas right now. So um, let's, let's just start with uh, a little kind of overview of what your transition from flight school to working for a company like EasyJet has been. Like from last time we talked to you till now, what's the progression been like? So um, after I spoke to you, I headed back to the UK and uh, that's where I started my instrument rating. Uh, but I was doing that in Oxford on the Seneca 5, so twin engine, uh, turbocharged, pretty pretty fast uh, little uh, twin there. Um, that was about four months. Um, so basically from takeoff to landing, um, hood down, just looking inside on the G1000 uh, glass cockpit, finding my way throughout the UK's airspace, really. Um, and then at the end in April... And the IR skills test, which uh, is basically a routine, then you have to do a precision approach to something like uh, an ILS, which I'm sure a lot of the uh, infinite flight users are used to. Um, and then an engine failure on the go-around, which is basically to simulate an engine failure on takeoff. And then you deal with that. Then you fly back and do a non-precision approach and hold at another airport. So I did that at Oxford Airport. Um, so that's single engine in the hold and then procedure outbound inbound uh, then a single engine go around and then a landing all that without being able to see where you're going uh, so it's quite difficult and obviously wow. it's all single pilot as well so you know you're doing the radios you're doing the navigation you're monitoring the instruments you know it's it's, uh, it's definitely the hardest thing i've done up until now um, you know flying jets is easy compared to doing the instrument raising because you're all on your own right um uh, okay yeah so from april uh, I was just waiting to start with EasyJet, and then in October last year, I started my A320 uh, type rating. Okay, so uh, you, you're starting on the A320, which includes the A319, correct? Correct, and the 21 and the 18 as well. So, but uh, you told me that uh, you, you A318, uh, or sorry, A319, A320, and and soon A321. Does that mean you're already rated, but you're possibly going to be flying or you need a special rating for that no so um the type rating uh, it covers the whole airbus 320 family so the 18 19 20 and 21 um and easyjet um about a week and a half ago announced that we're getting uh airbus 321 starting next year um 30 new a321 neos um to go with the 320 neos that we've got uh delivery in a couple of weeks of our first one so it's exciting times for the airline then a more fuel efficient um, obviously a bigger aircraft with the 321 so we can carry more passengers go a bit further as well so, uh, so the so NEO been... will carry more packs than the 321 the 321 no, so the, NEO no so the uh, the 321 uh, is going to obviously carry more passengers than the 320 well obviously yeah yeah and the uh, the NEO engine um, is a lot more fuel efficient uh, oh. less and less noise so it's a good step forward for the airline in terms of you know their impact on the environment and uh you know, cost saving as well. Okay. Cool. So, um, do, do you need any, um, in terms of flying the 319 versus, or sorry, the, the 320 versus the 321, it's a little longer, right? Uh, is there any, anything you need to do in order to prepare for that? 
Um, there's nothing specifically to do. Um, we just, I mean, there's, during all of our check uh, rides every six months, they always check on like rotation rates and things like that to uh, to prevent things like a tail strike. Obviously, with a 321, you've got less of uh, a clearance on mm. the rotation. Okay. Um, so obviously, you know, it, it's just something that needs to be monitored. But in terms of any extra training, um, apart from uh, learning about the Neo engine, um, which is, you know, just a classroom a few hours, um, there's nothing else that we need to need to do really. It's all the same cockpit, all the same systems. Okay. So uh, that's a good thing about the Airbus family, really. Once you've flown, you know, the 320, you can fly a number of aircraft cool. without any need for any further training. I want to also give a shout out to, uh, as uh, ironically, Neo on the forum who was asking about the type ratings for the 320 family as well. So thanks for those questions, Neo. Um, <laughs> And and so we've we've spoken with uh, our you know our friend Arnott who's uh, flies the A380. Um, yeah. He's flown uh, I think also the A330. And um, I, we haven't Mark we haven't spoken with a, a 340 pilot yet I don't think have we? No, not yet. No. Not yet. We're we're working on that, but no, not yet. Yeah. So um, if you were to move to a well, EasyJet uh, only flies the smaller aircraft, correct? That's correct. Yeah, um, at the moment we're just trying to conquer Europe and do uh, you know be the best at short haul in Europe, um, and then maybe think about something like what Norwegian are doing. Uh, you know, obviously they've started to do sort of low cost long haul, so maybe it's something to look further down the line. But at the moment, there's no plans for for anything like that, so it's just short haul for us at the okay. moment. Maybe into uh, San Francisco one day. <laughs> maybe, maybe we'll see, or maybe New York. You know, yeah. Never know. Yeah. Uh, and are they? Are you only Airbus at the moment? Yeah, we're only Airbus. So EasyJet did start with uh, with Boeing, um, and then uh, they transitioned over to Airbus because of the, uh, the the maintenance costs and having basically the uh, the same family of aircraft for the whole fleet, and it may, obviously makes training and standardization a lot easier for the airline. Hmm. Um, you know, if you if you fly mixed fleet, it makes things a bit more difficult to do with maintenance and training and things like that. So right. try and keep it as simple as possible, really. Well, and it's easier for the pilots. You just press the takeoff button and then the land button once you get there, and you're good yeah, to go. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Uh, it's as simple as that, really, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Mark, I'm surprised you haven't asked him a question about the coloring book tray yet. Oh, I was just letting y'all get to it, and then when you ask me, you know, typically like you do at the end of all the questions, Mark, you have any questions? I, <laughs> well, I'm gonna, you know, I'll give I'm, you a chance now. Yeah. Uh, so, have you used the coloring book tray? I mean, have you have you broken out uh, have you broken out your Crayola crayons or no? How's no, that been no, working no. out? No, I just I just use it to put my uh, my food on and uh, my charts and you know the lay down uh, and take a nap. You just kind of yeah, that's exactly it. Take a nap. Yeah. Well, I mean, for what for what we use the Airbus for, I mean, you know. There's no need to have a big uh, yoke and, you know, I'd rather just have a table. It's more like an office, you know, and I get paid to stare out the window, I guess. So it's, uh, it, it's certainly... Well, who needs a yoke when you have buttons to push for takeoff and landing and taxi <laughs> and cruise? And I mean, come on. Well, yeah, I mean, we have a side stick just in case those buttons are faulty. You just know? in yeah. case, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. In case. just in case. You know, I mean, we could always try turning it off and on again. It normally works. So <laughs> it's so funny because you know we've got the we've got the Airbus uh, final assembly plant here in Mobile, and uh, you know, unfortunately, I'm limited on the Boeings that I get to take pictures of because we we seldom get the Boeings here, 
And so I'm stuck with having to take pictures of the new Airbus that, that come out of the plant. And people are like, oh, my God, Mark's switching to, to Airbus. Hail to the no. <laughs> I'm not. Well, I guess if you're American, I mean, obviously, you're kind of biased towards Airbus, aren't you? I mean, Boeing, you, you're kind of. Well, um, it's, it, it's more of the yoke than the side stick than anything else. Now, I'll be the first to admit Airbus is a tremendous aircraft. It, it, it's an amazing aircraft. And it was fun to fly the sim when we flew it in Atlanta. Yeah, I watched, um, I watched, I watched uh, some of the uh, highlights of that. It looked, it looked really good. Yeah, and it was, it, it it truly is an amazing aircraft, okay? And my biggest issue is it's a side stick versus a yoke. That That's really my biggest issue with it. You just it. need some more time in the Cirrus, Mark. I've flown the Cirrus. I know, I see. You need more Cirrus time in it. The Cirrus is fun. It's fun. And actually, because of how low profile that Cirrus is, the side stick actually works better there. Being six five, the side stick is actually better for me because the yoke would basically I would be steering with my knees. I would be controlling <laughs> yeah. the rudder pedals and you know turning with my knees if a yoke was there. So the side stick is is more comfortable. But uh, you know it it was just, and I'm sure that you can make the adjustments. But when I flew the sim, uh, the A320 sim, I was having to lean forward. You know I didn't really move the seat around too much. I just got it to where I was comfortable with the pedals. Yeah. But, See that that's that I mean that's where you you know you got to set yourself off in the right position because I mean the armrest um uh, which you know any any chair that's got an armrest you know it literally adjusts in all sorts of ways so you literally get it so that your arm when you move the chair forward your arm it, you know is becomes in, almost integral to the to the side stick you know so you don't really have to move your arm at all and it just feels natural I mean on the Airbus I mean you 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 can use a set you know you can use a light pressure as well I mean um, it's just finding what's comfortable for you. I mean, I've seen some some uh, pilots. So I've heard stories of some pilots where you know they hold they hold the side stick on the top, almost like you're holding the top of like a walking stick, like a cane. Um, you know, they don't hold it like a side stick. You know, but I guess it's finding the way that's comfortable for you. But you literally just you literally rest your hand on it and just small movements and obviously the aircraft. You know, just to put it out there, yes, I love Boeing. I prefer Boeing, but Airbus is an amazing aircraft. I love Air. Uh, 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 well. I like Airbus too, but the biggest <laughs> thing is the side stick versus the yoke. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I've flown with quite a lot of captains who who have been at EasyJet when they had the seven three seven, and uh, they, I mean, they all agree with you. You know, to fly for actually flying sake, you know, in the gusty conditions or you know just flying aircraft, the Boeing is better. But they say hands down for what they do for their job, you know, day in day out, the Airbus is perfect. So yeah. you know. I mean, you can't really disagree with that. No, no, I can't disagree with somebody who's got a you know few more hours than I do and <laughs> actual experience of both aircraft, but yeah. it's just personal problem. So, Dale, why don't you take us through a little bit of the progression once you arrived at EasyJet? Um, when Mark and I were at um, Delta headquarters, they have a uh, they have these rooms where they're sort of cockpits, but not really. It's just sitting on the floor, and it the purpose of those was to um, just kind of know where flow your hands, training. yeah, flow training. There it is. So know where your hands should be going, know what you should be saying on, in all phases of flight, um, and just kind of get all those movements down before you get into the sim. So do they have something similar, uh, f- uh to flow training for EasyJet? Yes. So, um, so during the type rating, which I started in October, which was a six week long course, and uh, the first three weeks was, uh, all ground school. 
uh, with a little bit of the procedure trainers, just like we are talking about where they've got touchscreen, you know, you're pressing the buttons, you're doing the flows, so you know, you know where everything is. Um, so, yeah, the first three weeks was obviously going through all the systems, and obviously there's a lot of systems, a lot of computers, a lot of uh, laws that you need to know about the Airbus, uh, which is obviously something that makes it different to a Boeing. Um, and so, yeah, we had, you know, during the tight rating, we had all that sort of stuff. So when during the, the second lot of three weeks, so the final bit was obviously all the, the actual sim training, uh, all the procedures, the takeoff, the landings, the emerging procedures, you know, take uh, engine failures after takeoff, engine fire, emergency descents, all that sort of stuff. So obviously you need to have that basic knowledge of where everything is before you can obviously do that efficiently. So basically... For the Airbus, you said, you know, it's a little bit different than, than the Boeing. So I guess, you know, for the Airbus, <clears throat> as soon as you raise the gear, you hit the autopilot as soon as you're at positive rate. And then you disengage the autopilot when you hear minimums. So whereas Boeing, you know, you're kind of manually flying the aircraft longer. No, not at all. I mean, I mean, I mean you know, the, the the whole myth of there's a takeoff button, there's a landing button, you know, there definitely isn't one of those. Um, you know, we, we try and fly as much as we can um, because obviously when the weather when the permits, we, you know, we want to we want to fly. Well, at the end of the day, we're we're all pilots, so you know, we want to fly the airplane as much as possible. Um, so you know, I'll if there's a, like a nice departure, like out of Nice, for example, uh, or uh, oh, other, love nice. other coastal love airports nice. like Barcelona. You've got really nice uh, instrument departures, and just to fly them manually, you know, is is just fantastic. So we take as much advantage as we can. Uh, and the yeah. same when you know weather conditions uh, permit, you know, we'll fly fly the uh, the instrument arrival. You know, we'll disconnect the autopilot. We'll we'll turn the all the flight directors off. You know, we'll turn the auto thrust off. We'll just we'll just fly like a normal airplane. You know, so you know we do. Are allowed to do that? Point. Yeah, of course we are. They wow. encourage it. Yeah, we you know we're allowed you know the the airline encourages when when uh, the conditions permit you know to to fly as much as possible they encourage us because at the end of the day when when we're, you know when and if something goes wrong and we don't have those systems then you know we need to rely on our on our abilities as pilots so you know if we've not flown an aircraft for three months and uh, and then something goes wrong you know you really want to have um, some stick time so to speak yeah I flew uh, I flew the um... The EasyJet A319 the other day from Birmingham to um, from Birmingham to Nice, and um, how on earth did you do that? On Global. Global's not live yet. Uh, well, considering I work for FDS, oh, that's changed by the way since our last conversation. <laughs> oh I now God, work for FDS. Um, oh, they must have been desperate. They were. They were. But <laughs> uh, it, you know, Global. An alpha testing right now, and so I flew from Birmingham to uh, Nice in the A319 EasyJet, and um, oh, what is it, the 04s or the 05s? Uh, 04, 04. Yeah, 04. 04 left and 04 right, and so uh, the approach that I wanted to take uh, brought me right over the airport uh, into a right downwind uh, for 04 right, so I loved that approach coming over the airport and then over the water. And then that approach into the zero four right uh, uh, from the water, it, it's just gorgeous. The approach into there is gorgeous. What I'll do is I'll uh, I'll send you a like a picture of uh, the visual approach on the profile, and uh, it's oh, that really, would be great. It's really nice to fly the you know if it's a clear day you know Cavoc uh, conditions, then you know we'll just take the autopilot out and uh, we'll just ask for the visual, and uh, once you basically you cross the water, 
Um, once you cross the coastline, you can descend below 5,000 feet, and you basically just keep uh, basically follow the coastline. Uh, there's some rich people's houses just before the airport, and like a, a little edge of land, and you just have to go around that, then come back in, and then land on zero uh, four left. But it's absolutely beautiful. Loads of yachts everywhere. It's it's a stunning approach, really. That's is. where y'all dump the laughs to reduce the 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 landing weight, right? Is over the rich people's uh, houses and the yachts. Well, you see, I mean, the thing is, it's certified weight rather than actual landing weight, unfortunately. <laughs> so, you know, whether we dump the toilet overboard or not, you know, it's, it <laughs> doesn't make a difference, unfortunately. The last time but, I, I mean, came that- into uh, Buffalo, not that that's a stunning approach, but uh, <laughs> in an Airbus, they they dumped like three notches of flaps at once and basically made a, a straight shot to uh to the runway and so when we landed i asked the the pilot i was, I was like i'm assuming you flew a visual approach in here because they just came in there like cowboys and uh he said oh yeah yeah visual approach flight director off autopilot off it was a fun one yeah so, I mean, you know, it saves time as well. And if it's quiet and, you know, the weather permits, well, why not? You know, at the end of the day, it's we were pilots. We want to fly. And what better than just literally just to fly by using your eyes? And, and, you know, that's that's the best way to do it, really. So, I mean, luckily in Europe, we have I mean, the scenery in Europe is fantastic. Yeah. So we get some great, great approaches, you know, places like like Barcelona, South Portugal, Nice. Um, then the more interesting ones, places like Milan, where you have to, you know, you stay high over the Alps and then. You know, you get your descent and you wind the speed up and, you you know, you're descending down to uh, to get over the Alps and get into Milan. So that's, uh, that's always a fun approach as well. Make sure what about you, Madeira? Uh, Have you flown into there yet? Uh, I've not done Madeira. We don't uh, we do not do that from, uh, oh, from Portugal. But uh, okay. I'm transferring to Manchester Airport, which is my home city, in, uh, in mm-hmm. August. So I'm heading back home. And uh, it's one of the airports that we do from... Uh, from Manchester, so I'll uh, I'll get to experience Funchal. It is a captain-only approach, unfortunately. Yeah, that uh, that's a very uh, that, that's that's a fun approach as well. I mean, just and, that uh, that tight also, turn. Yeah, we also do uh, Gibraltar as well, which uh, again is captain-only, but you can understand why. I mean, yeah, you've got people walking over the runway, you know, a big rock and a, a very short runway. So, you know, so that's another fun one that uh, that uh, that you get there. Innsbruck as well is another one that's uh, Innsbruck is a fun fun approach tyler and i flew that uh, a couple weeks ago um yeah it, it's it's very interesting and especially it's, uh, when it's windy it's quite nerve-wracking when you do it and it's it is like low visibility this is uh I'd, I'd like i normally like to see where i'm going when we go to there um but if it's you know it's fogged out and stuff like that then uh you know, you just you've got the terrain on the nav display, and you just see red either side of you, and you know, you're like, oh, this is not good. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and so you you moved from ground school to simulator training, and then after the simulator training, uh, do you do you get to fly the airplane at all without passengers, or are you just straight on to the airplane with packs? No, so um, I mean, I think it depends with airlines. Some airlines you can do what was called base training um, in the simulator. Um, but most airlines do uh, do prefer for cadet pilots to do base training uh, in the actual aircraft. So uh, basically, you, you take a an obviously an empty uh, 319, which is what we did it in. Um, you go to a quiet airport uh, somewhere like I mean in the UK, we went to places like Doncaster or Shannon in Ireland, um, and basically you just go and, uh, and 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 fly the circuits, fly the patterns. Uh, wow, there. that must that must be something else when you you're flying such a expensive machine 
in the circuit. Yeah, it, it's. Uh, I mean, you know, we we uh, we. It's obviously expensive for the company. It's. Uh, I mean, we. I think for for one day we did it over two days because there was eight of us all together. So two days and uh, both days we we burnt about seventeen tons of fuel. Oh man. Uh, which uh, I mean, to put it into perspective, when we go to somewhere like uh, from say Charles de Gaulle to Tel Aviv, which is about four and a half five hour flight, uh, we only burn about twelve thirteen tons of fuel. Um, so to think that we burnt seventeen tons in just one day and we didn't really go anywhere. Um, it's, wow. uh, it's but I mean you know flying the jet for the first time it, it's an experience I'll, I'll never forget. Uh, you know you just put you know toga thrust, uh, flap two takeoff, so it gets off the runway pretty quick. Um, you know, put the gear up, and then when I, I remember uh, when I turned downwind for the first time, and uh, I just looked looked at the runway, and I just looked inside, and I was like, I, I can't believe I'm I'm flying an Airbus right now. Was it emotional it was, for you? It, it was such a surreal moment. It really was. Yeah, I think it would uh, be for me too. That'd be incredible. Um, and then you know we we each did uh, six six landings, so. Uh, yeah, and uh, luckily in mine weren't that weren't bad, you know, for my first jet. Were they full day. stop landings? Because that's what you're doing no, no, for the most the, part, right? So it was all uh, the base training was all touch and goes. Okay. So uh, it was it was obviously landing, and then uh, captain takes the thrust levers, he uh, sets the flaps back to two, retrims the aircraft, and then advances the thrust to toga, and off we go again. Okay. So uh, we did that six times, which awesome, which is fantastic. Mark, have you heard of Live Flight for Infinite Flight? Yeah, man. I've used it to track flights and to see which regions and airports are busy before, you know, planning my flight. Right. Well, as you probably know, a new version of Live Flight is now available at liveflightapp.com. This new version is better than ever and has been rebuilt from the ground up. With a new design, more flight stats, a search feature, and airport information, tracking and planning your flight is easier than ever. Oh, man, I know. And now with the new downloadable KML files, you can download your flight data to any Earth browser, such as Google Earth. It's so cool. Absolutely. And if that wasn't enough, you can now subscribe to Live Flight Horizon, a new service for only $1.99 a month that provides real-time, worldwide airport information such as weather, runway data, and charts. It also allows you to search for flights, active ATC frequencies, and airports. And as a Live Flight Horizon subscriber, you'll also get much longer online sessions, and you'll be helping Cam to keep developing and improving this great app. So guys, make sure you head over to liveflightapp.com to give it a try, and also subscribe to Live Flight Horizon. It will make your infinite flight experience so much better. Live Flight is now available in the App Store for iOS. And now back to the podcast. So Dale, you are an infinite flight user or you were more so when you had time and weren't learning how to be an airline pilot. What's something that you would love to see now that you're flying the Airbus for a job? What's something you'd like to see come to infinite flight? Yeah, I mean, uh, I'd like to see, I mean, I know it's, it's probably a long way off, but I'd like to see the the, the thrust on uh, infinite flight to change, you know, because at the moment, obviously, you've got just a percentage of power. And then it gives you an N1 reading at the top anyway. Um, yep. But I'd like to see that change for per aircraft, you know. So Airbus, if if possible, obviously you can have the the things like the the climb gate, the uh, flex MCT gate, the toga gate. Um, exactly. You know, make things more real, you know. So you can literally just put the power to 50% manually, or you put it into the climb gate and the auto thrust comes on. And, you know. So I mean, that's obviously way in the future once you know that ironed out all the creases. But, you know, um, that's definitely, you know, what I'd like to see. 
Uh, well, I've I've, I've suggested, uh, you know, I've I've suggested, and I'm working on hopefully in the future to put in a throttle limiter to where you have the the gates for takeoff, thrust, climb thrust, cruise, you know, all of that. Yeah. And um, so I said we definitely need a throttle limiter for that. And it was so funny, man. I, I love it. Uh, Cam uh, was taught, he was in there, and I, he's like, "Well, Mark, he said, you know, a thrust limiter, a throttle limiter, is not really realistic uh, no, in real, real life." <laughs> and I said, "A throttle limiter is as realistic as life flight crashing anytime you log into it." And uh, <laughs> and it was so funny because Philippe, <laughs> yeah, Philippe says very little and then all philippe said was well he didn't even say anything uh he just posted a link and and he just said cam this is for you and it was a link to the mayo clinic burn centers (laughs) all across america (laughs) (laughs) i'd laugh yeah i mean Uh, i I mean i mean uh thrust limited is uh is something that's very realistic i mean um you know I think I, I mean obviously I've not been uh, I've not been as active on infinite flight as I'd like to have been obviously with my uh, my my new career. Well, you're busy. But, you understand uh, that. But um, you know when we take off, you know we we take off um, anywhere between seventy five percent and say eighty five percent, depending on the weather, the conditions, how hot it is, how you know how the pressure is, etc. Um, you know I remember seeing so many pilots on uh, infinite flight just going one hundred and four percent on M one. And they take off within a third of the runway, and that's not realistic, you know. So, well, it's, uh, and I've talked to some of the heavy drivers that do that. Um, some of you know, uh, uh, well, heavy driver for one, yeah. and on the heavies, they actually do push that one hundred percent threshold uh, for takeoff, especially when they are heavy. Yeah. Um, I mean, so it's not uncommon for that, and then of course they're throttling back, and then on the cruise, you know, can vary. Uh, this, that, and the other, but, um, but yeah, normally in, in one, another Airbus pilot that I've talked to, um, you know, you know, he said, and and I know it's also a lot of times, uh, airline specific, and there are times that when they are at max gross that, um, they, they may take off depending on runway length, you know, conditions and everything else, they may take off at 92, 94%. Yeah, for takeoff thrust uh, in one, but of course that's backed off uh, once you're in a positive rate climb, yeah. uh, gear up, then you back down to you know eighty six, eighty eight percent for your climb yeah. thrust. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's gonna it's gonna vary of course per aircraft, but also per airline, even yeah. in the same aircraft. That's it. I mean, so, well, we with us, I mean, we, when we obviously you know we're heavy, we take you know, off uh, on shorter runways. You know, we we do take off with Toga, but. I mean, for us, uh, as an airline, I mean, our total power is still only about 90, 91% of what the engine can actually provide. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, climb power can be something like 88%, and then TOGA, which is max, you know, everything the engine can give you, right. or everything the engine will give you with it, with on our aircraft, is still you know, another 3% or so. So it's not, not too much difference. And it's amazing, though, how much 1% or 2% power difference will give yeah. you. And the amount of noise one percent makes is incredible. Exactly, it is un- <laughs> unreal. So, well, Dale, let me ask you this question: um, How often do y'all have to requal with uh, with the Autoland? Uh, 
Uh, auto lands are only done by captains. So obviously, me being a first officer, I don't carry out an auto land. Uh, well, the only time in, you get to touch the dash is for selfies, right? When you put your hand up on the dash and yeah, that's it. Uh, well, I normally yeah. just mount. I normally just mount my GoPro there, and then you know I don't have to touch it. <laughs> I thought the auto land the auto land was done by the airplane, not the captain. Well, no, but he's the he's the pilot flying. At he that pushes point. the auto land button. Right. So he Got it. he's the so because um, as a first officer, my uh, my visibility limits uh, for my airline anyway are four hundred meters. So anything below four hundred meters um, would be uh, the captain. How, how, uh, how many feet is that? Hold on, let me. I don't know. Keep talking. I'm gonna do my part. <laughs> I gotta pull out my American conversion chart. My American conversion chart here. Mer- Go Mer- ahead. We we don't even know what statute Mars are. I mean, come on. Get with the program. We use kilometers and meters and all that good stuff. Yes, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's just the Americans. They're just, you know, well. We're lazy. It? Yeah, that's it. Um, so, also, Lance, so yeah, the captain would be pilot flying at this point. Um, so, he'd be the one that's monitoring all the instruments, um, setting up the aircraft for the auto land. Um, and then um, my job is obviously to, to monitor his, his actions, but also I'm. And the one that's also calling out um, the uh, the FMAs, the flight mode enunciators, basically tells you what the autopilot's doing. So, I mean, for the auto land, if uh, if at any point, say, we get uh, a red auto land light, it means that the aircraft can't auto land. So, obviously, we have to go around at that point. Um, also, um, once we get, obviously, below 50 feet and uh, the aircraft's going to flare, I have to make sure that I may call out the flare enunciator because the aircraft doesn't have the flare enunciator it means the aircraft won't flare uh, which obviously at, say 30 feet above the ground not a good idea not to flare right um so obviously that that is obviously very important uh, so i mean to be honest uh, an autoland is probably more difficult to do just for the sheer monitoring than actually flying the aircraft yourself yeah, it's a lot busier um, it's a lot busier and it's it's you know it's a lot more dangerous because you know you are relying on the computer to do everything and at any point some little computer doesn't work properly, it can affect the autoline capability of the aircraft. Um, so, you know, that's uh, it's, obviously it's uh, tricky. Um, but for qualification, so um, in my first 12 sectors flying passengers, um, I had to I had to do an autoline with a captain. Uh, I couldn't get signed off without a safety pilot. So for the first 12 sectors, we have a safety pilot. So there's the captain, which is a trainer, myself in the right-hand seat, and then we have a, a first officer who's on the jump seat who's there to take over if anything goes wrong, basically. Um, you know, obviously, you know, I've got no jet time, so it makes sense to have someone there just in case. No, that definitely makes sense. I mean, do you guys have to do that? Like uh, every uh, – a buddy of mine is a 737 pilot in Europe, and uh, he was telling me like every 90 days they have to do at least one auto land uh, for recurrency. So we um... – I don't know if that's uh, is he uh, an American American seven three seven pilot or like you know seeing American airline. Uh, no, when I said in Europe, that oh. kind of gave it away that he's <laughs> not American. Uh, well, I mean, uh, <laughs> obviously, do separate training to what I do. So, I hope you uh, listen I, to ATC instructions better than you listen. Yeah, well, I mean, the trouble of being in France is they all speak they all speak French to the French aircraft, so sometimes I haven't got a clue what they're saying, but. Uh, I mean, Does it say know. bonjour as soon as you uh, crank up the power? Yeah, no, no. It calls us a <laughs> every time we land. You know, <laughs> so bad. That's the only. That's the only flaw with the Airbus. You know, it's uh, it's good. But uh, uh, back to all that. So yeah, um, 
captains do qualification, um, and then we do we do recurrent checks every six months uh, in the aircraft to go through all the emergency procedures. So we'll, I mean, I've actually got my sim check coming up next week, which is my first one since I started flying. So, you know, exciting times. Um, so yeah, we go into the sweat box for two days and, uh, you know, we, we carry out uh, engine failures, emergencies, and we basically just try and make it into like a scenario. So, you know, you might take off out somewhere and have an engine failure. Then you've got to evaluate the weather and then something else might go wrong while you're doing that. You know, so, it, you know, it's just trying to, to, to see how you cope in the situations, you know, and you, you basically obviously try and keep keep your keep your calm, aviate, navigate, communicate, which is the most important thing for any pilot, uh, you know, and then just have um, a workflow going through the uh, the ECAM, um, which is basically where all our failures come up, something that Boeing pilots don't know about, um, and uh, you know, so it's just it's just basically trying to prepare you if, if it does happen i mean uh, the maintenance record at easyjet is is uh, is impeccable um and i think in the last year we only had two engine failures in all of our flights and I mean, we've got nearly 300 aircraft operating anywhere between yes. five and ten sectors a day so you know it's it was pretty good safety record um and uh, maintenance record so the likelihood of it happening is very small but obviously we have to be prepared for any situation well that does actually bring up uh an interesting question. Um, one thing I do remember the, uh, from my time in the airlines is, you know, airplane would come in um, and let's say something was wrong. Uh, of course, we'd have to get a, a, a back out there to uh, check it out. But there was a lot of times that a lot of equipment uh, were deferrable, um, you know, on, on the different aircraft, whether CRJ, um, some of the Boeings that we had. Um, I don't really remember too much on on Airbus, but, um, but yeah, I mean like what type, because of the computer systems and with Airbus being so automated and I know that you have the redundancy, uh, the redundancy computers, but what, you know, how often do y'all fly with, with deferred equipment? Um, I mean, it depends on the severity, obviously, if it's, you know, it's a very severe fault, obviously, you know, it will be fixed, but, um, you know, there are things like, things like, uh, obviously like, uh, no APU, you know, they'll defer that until a maintenance schedule because, you know, you can operate without an APU. It's not the most convenient thing to do. But Well, not uh, for the ground crew either when you got to bring out the huffer to air start the plane. Uh, I know, and then you've got to, rate, you know, uh, increase the power on the, uh, the the running engine to then start the second to engine. To start the other one, yep, for the yeah. airflow. Yeah, it's it obviously, you know, it's noisy and it's time-consuming, but, you know, they'd rather have it flying and it take 10 minutes longer than take it out of service, especially as we're coming into the summer schedule. Yeah, because it's more of a pain to take it out of rotation. So it, it's basically, yeah, and they will do that. They'll fly it until they're able to take it out of uh, take it out of flight rotation, and you know, and it's in maintenance. So that's that's exactly right. Um, I mean, other things that crop up, uh, you know, obviously, like you said, because it is quite computerized. Uh, there are a number of uh, computer resets that we can do um, initially to try and you know mitigate the problem. So, you know, if uh, if something pops up, say, you know, like uh, the one I, had, one I had the other day was an avionics vent fault. So, you know, there's uh, there's like, a, you know, a ring up our engineering department and they go, you know, we've got this en- uh, avionics en- um, vent fault. Um, is there a reset for it? And then they'll give us a reset over the phone. So we reset the circuit breakers, carry out the procedure. And then, you know, nine times out of 10, it, it goes away, you know. So like they say, with any good computer, you just turn it off and on again and hopefully it'll work. So basically, y'all use a, uh, y'all have a control alt delete 
option. Yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that's that's essentially it. But uh, you know, um, you know, the world. You know, we when we uh, when we check in uh, in the in the de- you know before we file flights, we get a print out of the aircraft for flight plans, and you know, it, it gives us a, a rundown of everything that's wrong with the aircraft, whether it be scratches, dents, seat covers missing tables damaged etc um, and then there will be things like level one defects which are things that are operationally affecting the aircraft so no apu you know there's a maintenance procedure there's not enough oxygen for three crew or things like that um, so there's all sorts of things that you know that that are wrong with the aircraft but from a maintenance side it's not going to prevent the aircraft from flying safely and so like you said you don't want to take it out of rotation if you don't have to there's nothing funnier than when you're looking out the window as a PAX and you see maintenance out there putting some speed tape, some of that shiny silver speed tape on the leading edge slats. <laughs> Good <Yeah>. to go. <laughs> That's it. Well, you know, it's, uh, you know, that, that, bit of, that bit of tape might save you five kilos of fuel, you know. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, it's, it's incredible, um, the things. But, I mean, you know, we, we, we try and mitigate as much maintenance as we can, but at the end of the day, the uh, you like with a car, with anything, you know, you, you use it enough, and things will will start to to you know break. So, you know, but uh, well, you just turn your radio up louder so you don't hear it, and then you get yeah. a more time. You don't you don't hear that banging or the massive vibration. <laughs> <laughs> Can't really do that, unfortunately. Uh, it's not like we can just pull over at the side of the road if something's wrong. So, you know, have to make sure it's in uh, tip-top working condition. Well, guys, look, why don't we go to a couple of community forum questions since uh, I put this out there about two hours ago and um, the, they've been asking questions. Jason, okay. why don't you talk for a little bit? I'm sick of hearing Mark's voice. I got up and made a sandwich and I don't even know what he was saying. <laughs> I'm He's not even recording this. <laughs> Uh, Misha was actually asking a bunch of questions here, and uh, I can't tell whether he's being serious on some of these or not, but I will ask one of them. Um, he's asking, what is an average flight schedule for short-haul, low-cost airline pilots? Uh, so, I mean, in terms of, I mean, legally, we are only allowed to fly 900 hours a year. That's the legal uh, maximum. Um, obviously being low cost airline they do try and utilize us as much as possible so i mean um i normally per month um anywhere between 80 and 90 hours a month flying time um normally um and then my my actual working week uh, i normally work four or five days on and then have about three days off uh, and then within that five working day, it can be start off early. So, I mean, I could be getting up anywhere as early as, say, 3 a.m. Uh, and then halfway through the week, I might get a transition uh, to then start on late. So, you know, it, it's difficult on the body to start getting up, you know, three o'clock for, for two days. And then all of a sudden, you you know, you're not getting in until, say, midnight, one o'clock in the morning. So it can take its toll on us um, there. But so, the, yeah, the schedule, anywhere really between you know, in the, in the winter months between like say 60 and 70 hours, but in the summer months, 80, 90 hours, uh, uh, you know, so they, they do work as hard, but you know, I, I enjoy it. I'm building hours. It's, uh, it's fantastic. I can't believe I still get paid for it. <laughs> yeah. Right. So all that ties sort of into Josh, Joshy's question. Uh, at the end of the day, you worked hard and gave up 
a lot of your time and time with family. And uh, I think at the time you had a fiance or a girlfriend. Um, yeah, fiance still do. <laughs> okay, good, good, good. So, what makes you it? What makes you go back and think that it's all worth it? What's your What's the the best part about this for you? Um, I mean, it's just. I mean, I've always had the the bug for aviation since I was young, and you know, this is always something I wanted to do. And now the fact that I've actually got there, I've crossed the finish line. I'm, I'm doing it as my career, and it's everything that it, it that I expected it to be. And you know, I just sit there uh, in a cruise at thirty-eight thousand feet, and I look out the window and I see Mont Blanc, the Alps, all the views, and I just think I'm getting paid to do this, and it, it's just an amazing feeling. And, and every time I land the aircraft, I feel great. And uh, you know, every time I'm at uh, you know I'm at the controls, it's it's just a great feeling. So you know, if uh, you know, it's just great. <laughs> That's all I can really say. <laughs> so so it sounds like you're enjoying it. <laughs> Yeah, certainly. Yeah. Well, you know, after you invest a lot of time, effort, money, uh, blood, sweat and tears, um, I'm glad it's lived up to the expectation because there's nothing worse than, you know, sacrificing a lot and then it not being what you expected. Yeah, right. So you've already talked, Jet Airways 995 was asking um, how you perceive the future of EasyJet. And you did mention that EasyJet is um, uh, potentially looking at long haul, uh, low cost, long haul flights. And well, I mean, that's there's nothing. I mean, this, that's just my speculation. Yeah, well, um, no, but that's the question, though, right? Like, what, what, do, how do you perceive the future of of EasyJet? Um, well, yeah, I mean, EasyJet. I think they they want to be, they're number four in Europe at the moment. They want to be number one because that's that's their goal. That you know they want to be Europe's best low cost airline. And so until they do that, that's all they're they're going to think about doing. So. Uh, obviously at the moment they're expanding they're opening new bases they're getting new aircraft so that you know they're only getting bigger so obviously they are going to become number one at some point and then from there i mean the only other way they could in my my opinion the only way they go from being number one in in the low cost uh, european market is to you know venture outside of the european market and you know obviously norwegian have shown that it can work um over the last year with their dreamliners so you know it it, it shows that, you know, there is a future in low-cost, long-haul, um, should EasyJet wish to choose that. Yeah. Uh, let's see, what else do we have here? I um, do like the uh, the latest, the newest uh, EasyJet livery. Yeah, it's um, gorgeous. Yeah. I'm disappointed I'd... they've not got it on the 320 yet. Oh, it's not on the 20 yet at all? Just the 319s? Yeah. No, no. We, have, I mean, in real life, we have it on the three twenty and the three nineteen. I mean, in, in oh yeah, in the sim, of, yeah, yeah. It's only on the three nineteen. It's very disappointing. And there's yeah. no sharklets as well. I'd like, uh, I'd like Laura to put those in. You've put my yeah. request. In, please. Well, <laughs> we have a feature category on the forum. Um, you know where we accept feature requests. So, uh, yeah, I'll put it in there, shall I? <laughs> now we might can barter afterwards. Uh, you know, and uh, and and and. and See if uh, if I can get some information as well as you know in order for me to submit your request directly. Yeah, I mean the thing is uh, the performance on the sh- on the uh, with the sharklet compared to the non sharklet. There's nothing in the manual that says it's any different. But um, you know, as pilots, we we know that it, it, it we call it slippery because it, you know it doesn't want to slow down. It's a very it's a very you know quick aircraft, and in the descent, it, it, you know it, it's very good. But then when you want to slow down, you, you know, you can't, basically. So if you're doing, 
if you're doing an approach where you know you, you're descending quickly, they give you a shortcut, and you know you need to get down, but you need to get the speed off so you can configure for landing. Um, you know, in a three twenty with sharklets, it can be it can be difficult at times. Well, that's when you just roll back the window and then stick your arm out and crease the drag. <laughs> oh, I see. There's a limit on the window, so we can't oh, yeah. speed limit on the window. So, you know. what is the speed limit on the window? Um, I believe the speed limit on the window is two hundred knots. Seriously? And, uh, yeah, it's that fast. Knots. Yeah, we oh, can. Wow. Uh, and uh, the windscreen wipers is two hundred thirty knots. So you could so, open up the window yeah. for takeoff if you really felt inclined. I mean, you could. I mean, I think I think they only put the speed limit there. I mean, the only reason I would ever open the window in flight would be, for example, if there was smoke and fumes and there was no way that I could get rid of it. Right. And I was low enough. And obviously, you know, anything above 10,000 feet, you know, we're pressurized and we need, obviously, the uh, the packs and things to, you know, to, to breathe normally. And he uh, says that's the only reason, but I'm still waiting for that picture where he's got the selfie stick sticking out the outside the window with the GoPro. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, on it's, final. Uh, it's definitely a Photoshop, I promise you. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, but yes, yeah, so, I mean, you know, there's things like that, but I mean, it, it's airline uh, like uh, SOPs, and uh, we never, you know, before we even start the engines, we check that the windows are closed and the doors are armed before we, before we push back. So. You know, once that window's armed, it's armed. Dale, is there anything else you wanted to add to your uh, f- f- aviation airline journey before we let you go today? Uh, I don't know. Is there anything else you guys wanted to ask about the Airbus? Uh, oh, actually, no. I did have a question for both of you. When you went to uh, when you went to try out the sim on the Airbus, did you look into the protections that uh, that obviously differ from the Boeing and other aircraft? Well, I always carry protection with me, so. <laughs> I don't think that's what he's asking, Mark. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> no, uh, we. I mean, when we had a our our simulator experience, it was um, sort of let's get in there, give it a try, and then let somebody else. There's like yeah. eight eight of us there waiting to try it. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So, but um, we've been talking about maybe this year heading over to the Delta Flight Museum when we're at Warbird Weekend in Atlanta in October, and uh, maybe splitting the cost of the um, Boeing simulator. Oh, why would you want to waste your money on that? Oh, that's straight from the pit of hell. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> you know, like I said earlier, our time in the uh, 320 sim was, was limited. And I think we each got, what, 0.5, Jack, in, in the sim? Um, no, I mean, ish. no, I think mine was longer than that. I, I think I had, no, I think I got about 40 minutes. I got, I did a uh, ILS approach where it was uh, f- foggy down to minimums and um flew under the golden gate bridge without crashing and nice. all with or without the flight directors were you wait, did you have the bird on i had the flight director for the ils approach and yeah. uh but not for my flying around san francisco under the bridge and not for my visual approach good good did you use the bird or did you just uh just leave it all off and just just fly it with your eyes well, that was my problem. Uh, if I were to do it again, I would. I, I think I was too focused the first time. I was really focused on instruments, and I did a really nice touch and go. Yeah. Um, so that was good. And then when I did the visual approach, I was trying to use both, and I didn't. I 
I just lost focus on actually flying the airplane. Um, so I did a decent job. Allie had to, uh, Tyler's wife had to apply some left rudder. I was going to veer off the runway, uh, <laughs> on my, on, on my rollout, but, um, no, it was sort of on the, on the second approach. That's where, that's what tripped me up is I think if I had really focused on just flying instead of, you know, looking down at the instruments, and then back up and then down at the instruments and then back up, that's what threw me off. And it's just a lot. It's a lot to take in when you're not a pilot. Yeah, I mean, we have to. I mean, you know, the scan is uh, is really important for us as uh, as pilots. Constantly scan. They te- that's one of the first things they teach you in, yeah. in ground school from day one. So yeah, well, but, but when you're like me and you're not sure what you're scanning, um, <laughs> it's you know, well, I, I would think I, when you're like Jay and you can't see above the dash anyway, you're already an instrument pilot right off the bat because that's all yeah. you can fly by. Nice one, Mark. Yeah. The, yeah, the needle's still attached. Yeah, the runway's still there. Yeah, the needle's still attached. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I think if I had a little, you know, obviously uh, practice makes permanent. So you, uh, if you have lots of time knowing where to look and your eyes are trained to do that, that'd be a lot easier. So, Dale, thanks again for making time for us. And uh, I can't wait to talk to you again when you're uh, onwards and upwards in your career. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean... Uh, I'll uh, I'll send you a link and I mean I put uh, quite a lot of my pictures on Instagram, so I mean you can put it in the bio or whatever. But, uh, all my yeah, so I mean most of the pictures I take um, when I'm not operating the aircraft and I'm above ten thousand feet. Yeah. Um, obviously for safety. And EasyJet um, doesn't mind you doing that. No, I mean I uh, I obviously I don't you know like post anything that's incriminating or anything terrible just just know the views out the office window yeah cool well you uh, can you can send those to us yeah send us the incriminating ones yeah send us the oh, incriminating right, okay. ones. yeah okay i'll uh yeah okay uh but so yeah i mean i'll, I'll send you my the link and uh, you know anyone that wants to follow me and see my my career as it progresses that's more than welcome to beautiful all right thanks man it's been a pleasure talking to you again yeah, congrats, man. Seriously. So, can you give me the dirt on when Global's going live? Um, it's going live as soon as we release it. When you see the update in your respective uh, app store, <laughs> that's when it's live. I will. I'll give you a. Um, I'll give you the exact date right after we stop the recording. Oh, lovely. Cool. Yeah. yeah sounds good. Anyway, it's been a pleasure, boys. Okay, thanks, Dale. Well, thanks as always for listening. Everyone, be sure to download Infinite Flight from the App Store or Google Play. For more of the podcast, visit flightcast.audio and be sure to subscribe on iTunes or YouTube. Flightcast is brought to you by Linkhouse Media on the web at linkhousemedia.com. To cover the fine print, Flightcast is not affiliated with Infinite Flight or Flying Development Studio. I'm Jason Rosewell. Thanks for listening and happy landings. Well, thanks as always for listening. Everyone, be sure to download Infinite Flight from the App Store or Google Play. For more on this podcast, visit flightcast.audio and be sure... Yep, there it is. (laughs) Be sure... (laughs) For more of this podcast, visit flightcast... No. Take three. For more of the podcast, visit flightcast.audio and be sure to subscribe to iTunes... Nope. Take four. This is worse than having our guest waiting for me. Hmm. For more of the podcast, visit flightcast.audio and be sure to subscribe on YouTube's. Oh my. <laughs> what are we, take six, take seven now? You can find us on social media at flightcast audio. Man, this is painful. 
Flightcast is brought to you. <laughs> Holy crap. You want me to read the damn thing? <laughs> oh. oh my goodness. To cover the fine print, Flightcast is not affiliated with Infinite Flight or Flying Development Studio and probably won't be anytime in the near future. I'm Jason Rosewell. Thanks for listening and happy landings. That was so cool. <laughs> Jeez. It probably won't be in the near future. <laughs>